0: Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade, Disgusting's horror video game podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm Neil Bow. And this week we're chatting not E3, but it is still a uh, horror extravaganza, as while there is no formal E3 showcase, that doesn't mean there haven't been numerous fruitful showcases, such as you know State of Play, Summer Games Fest, the IGN show, Tribeca, and of course the Xbox Bethesda show. Neil, I'm excited to chat, you know, general announcements, reveals and uh, gameplay that was shown off.
1: Yeah, it's uh, a mixed bag in terms of showcases. I'll say that um, there was one yesterday that I just literally turned off halfway through. Like, oh, no, <laughs> no, I can't. Naming no names. Um, but it, then there were really cool, interesting ones. Like the Trebecca stuff was fantastic. It was just nice to see this. Like, each game you know, they've carefully selected each one, have an in-depth thing on it, you know, interviews with the people involved. It gave the games some respect, you know, and gave, made them feel like they were big deals. And considering those games weren't, you know, big blockbuster things, and they didn't just have someone on for two seconds to say, hello, I'm here. You know, it was a real refreshing sort of thing. And I think there's a general sentiment that, you know, there's a lot of the smaller stuff stuffers nailed on, better this time than the bigger stuff um but yeah still on both sides of the fence so to speak there has been lots of cool things
0: yeah if anything you know shaking up the now you know a decade plus worth of sort of regimented e3s and the showcase and stuff in that normal uh, way that those things play out like it really has allowed for you know the lesser known games or, you know, announcements from smaller studios to shine a little bit brighter, almost louder, right? In the sense that they get a little more floor space and, while of course, they're never going to overshadow the big AAA stuff. It's just nice that it feels like for the first time, and, you know, over the last few years, it's been building to this, uh, getting to see games that normally people might not, you know, hear about unless they are, you know, doing their due diligence in terms of like scouring sites, scouring Twitter for these announcements. And I would say even, you know, after that Xbox Bethesda showcase, you get to see some titles that I feel like five years ago, you probably wouldn't have just because of whether, you know, it's coming from a studio that hasn't done a lot, or maybe it's just more of an abstract or an acquired taste sort of game, or what I still think some people probably label as like weird indie games, getting to have that, you know, that time frame in a major show for one of the big three uh, is pretty fantastic. And, you know, it makes for... A really exciting period that you know you and I go out of our way I think to highlight lesser known games and whatnot and getting to see that on a mainstream stage.
1: I, I mean, we're going to sound like utter his, hypocrites now after this because <laughs> the first half of the show is pretty much all the big stuff <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but we will be covering bits and bobs here and there. A um, couple of the indie games that we did want to talk about hopefully be talking about in the future a bit more in depth so we, we've kept them aside to the second half of the show but yeah we know that the big stuff is important too so you know this half is really where the talking points come in we're gonna go for the big guns that you mostly expect and then basically the second half of the show we're just going to do a roundup of other things of interest you know and uh, one of them's not even a game it's just a man saying hey i'm here i'm making a game (laughs) and that's it (laughs) so (laughs) so i spoiled that one for you already (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, what better place to start than in terms of like the big announcements that being, hmm. you know, The Last of Us Part 1 and it being, you know, a remake of The Last of Us. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about that? Because, you know, we recently had a guest on, you know, a couple months ago chatting about The Last of Us Part 2 and we got to kind of dive into that in depth. Um, but you and I haven't really talked a terrible amount about the original one. And so, like, how do you feel about them remaking that game?
1: Well, I mean, it's good for us because that means we've got a reason to talk about it in September or time, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> um, so, yes and no on this one. I, I kind of want to be like, yeah, cool, I'll play The Last of Us again, looking all spanky new. I think the big problem has been like, you know, the game was incredibly good looking for a PS3 game in the first place and then got touched up for PS4. And yeah, I understand if you're not seeing it side by side, it doesn't, you, your mind's eyes like, nah, this is the same thing. Exactly. But I think it's this weird thing in your head now where it's melded more of what The Last of Us Part 2 is like and what The Last of Us was like. And, you know, I went back to The Last of Us after Part 2 and, you know, it was night and day and on so many levels. So I'm excited to see how they implement all those things. Um whilst making it still feel like the old game. Um, it's something the Hitman trilogy did quite well, actually, over the three games. It's like each time the next game came out and had new ideas and bits and bobs, they'd add those to the old levels. You know, like, um, remarkably, they had no tool grass to hide in, you know, in the first game or the second game, and then that came up in the third game. And like, oh, okay, here you go. Now they're in every level and, you know, certain gadgets and things like that. I like that. Um, so, yeah, seeing... A lot of what The Last of Us Part 2 did, uh, mechanically in there would definitely shake up what The Last of Us was, you know, because I think it gets a bad rep for how it handles, you know, which is fair criticism, I think, you know, in terms, it, it does have some rough edges of that, um, of what they were trying to do. So yeah, that, that will be cool. That would be interesting. And yeah. I mean, the the other half of this story we'll sort of touch on briefly is that, you know, the faction's multiplayer mode has now become its own game, which they, you know, generously showed a piece of concept art. Um, <laughs> but, you know, even that's quite cool. You know, a San Francisco-style area, you know, or San Francisco, sorry, and, you know, multiplayer sort of Last of Us like that with an open world sounds really cool. No, that, so I'm glad they're doing that separately. But, you know, as it's going to do gangbusters isn't it yeah yeah i I think that's the thing it's like you can say oh it's not worth it christ they just this week say it talking about releasing the last spider-man film in cinemas again you know it's like yeah (laughs) (laughs) and people are are happy about that and we'll go see it so why not you know big things can come back time and again in many forms and why not you know
0: Yeah. I'm of two minds with it, right? I mean, yes, for all the reasons that you just said, from a gameplay standpoint, you know, obviously I love both of the Last of Us games, but getting to re-experience the original game with, you know, the refined controls and kind of Mm -hmm. what they learned in the interim between part one and part two and getting to go back and play that game and having those rough edges smoothed over is like a dream come true, obviously for fans of that game. Yeah. Um, And it's something that, you know, I'm I'm frequently having games that I need to jot down and be like, okay, once this list gets so long, I'm going to have to invest in the PS5, you know, but it's the type of thing also, though, where I'm of two minds, because on the other hand, I'm thinking to myself like, okay, is this the right time for them to release the remaster and to have, or the remake rather, and you know, deviating resources from that factions multiplayer thing, which technically still has not been officially announced, right? They kind of went on – Neil Druckmann went on stage and said, hey, here's this fancy concept art. Here's a general broad, broad overview, but we don't even have a name for it yet, right? But as you said, it's more than likely going to be an open world expansion on that core factions multiplayer, which – At the same time, you know, I'd never played the multiplayer the first time around when it was available. And now, obviously, the servers are offline. So that makes it even more exciting for me that Mm. now, you know, looking to the future, okay, I'll have the option of, you know, a full-fledged multiplayer experience, something that won't feel like an add-on or maybe what started out and kind of initially felt like just this kind of like, oh, here's a multiplayer thing to distract (laughs) you for a while. But now, you know, it having... The resources behind it to you know facilitate this game that is you know multiplayer through and through, and it's going to have the resources and the uh, dev support behind that. Um, that being said, though, like I'm not thrilled to see that there's a deluxe edition of the remake that it's like oh you can pay ten or fifteen dollars extra and you get all of these unlocks and skins mm. and you can you know basically get through the game faster. Like again, yeah. it's all cosmetic, it's optional, but. It is one of those things where I was like, nah. it's kind of shitty yeah. to see that tacked on to it. I'm just kind of like, there's no reason that you had to do this. And if anything, I don't know, it just seems kind of like a a more of a scummy business practice thing than anything else. But it is optional, of course, but yeah. it's one of those things that irks me a little bit. Seeing microtransactions added on, essentially, or like a microtransaction pack to something that never initially had it and it's only being added because of the influence of part two and that gameplay and how that can tie into it
1: so yeah um there's a part of that that bothers me as well in that you know it's like sony are going out of their way to be the opposite of what microsoft are doing out of spite in ways (laughs) well they'll pay 70 quid for a game They'll, they'll buy stuff again like that and it's like it works with the fanatics quite well and the casual player who go, Oh yeah, I played that before. And you know, I'll buy that again if it looks nicer. And yeah, that's perfectly fine. It's just a bit disappointing that, you know, we get to that point for a game that's not even a decade old, you know, that we're on the third version of it and it's going to cost more than it did the first time. Yeah, <laughs> start. yeah. In fact, I'd say some versions probably more than it costs the last two releases of it you know uh, combined which is frightening you know (laughs) I get you know it's all about you know pooling money and resources and making you know Sony trying to make safe bets and that's the way they have to go because you know microsoft can afford to do what they do because they have the money to do it you know it's only still very much burned by what happened before the last of us came out you know nine years ago and you know very much that game was one of the things that pushed them back into a position of power in the first place but yeah it's it's a bit scummy um
0: well also i mean the last of us is a sure thing right i mean that game like you said is going to sell like gangbusters Not only for, you know, fans of the franchise, but people that, you know, bought a PS5, they missed out on The Last of Us or maybe they went Microsoft for a console generation or two and they're coming to it now fresh. It just seems like this game is going to sell like crazy no matter what. The fact that they're tacking on that to this game, you're kind of just like, you can't not roll your eyes at it. At the end of the day, it doesn't affect you and I because we're not going to pay for something like that. Um, but at the same time, it's just kind of like, eh, did you really need to do that? You know, this game's mm. going to sell like crazy, and I'm sure it's going to be at a $70 price point, as it's going to become the norm. It seems. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, even even if it's not, even if it's the the slightly lower price point they go for, that's still going to be like 55, you know, which is you know. Yeah, pushing it a bit. You know, if it was a remake, remake of a game twenty years ago, that, or you know, a complete overhaul. But then uh, we don't know until it's come out just how different it will be. I'm curious to see if the DLC will be integrated into the game, the, the Left Behind story as a, like a midsection sort of thing or a flashback bit, because I think that would make more sense in terms of them. You know, calling it Part One, they clearly want to tie the entire story together, which I think, despite the the money reasons i think the other reason is artistic which is they want everything to be one flowing whole you know and everything to feel like you could just go from one game to the other and it not feel jarringly different and you know it's a very wanky hyper thing to do going oh no this all must feel the same and (laughs) we don't want it to feel like you know here's a belated sequel to this thing and look how different it looks you know you don't want that. And so, yeah, I get that side of it. It's just a shame that, you know, it has that other side of it too. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> well, that's a great point. I think that introducing that DLC, which, you know, I, I think it's fair to say, unless you were someone that was in love with the story, like most hardcore players fell in love with that story and those characters and that game world and universe, and you want to just explore more of it, like those people definitely sought out that DLC. but. Yeah for the masses maybe that didn't, or they just played through the game and then, you know, they don't uh, keep up to date with like DLC announcements and story announcements and these things, like maybe a good chunk of people missed it. So Mm -hmm. to see that incorporated naturally into the original, which then of course will flow into part two. I mean, that actually kind of does have me excited for that in a way that, you know, of course, it's going to be me revisiting an experience I've had, but just seeing a little bit more of the, connectivity or like the tissue matter that holds it all together and it won't feel just like dlc it'll feel like it. a natural like you would said a flashback to it which i think is actually kind of exciting in a way um and you know i'll take any uh any opportunity to revisit that universe
1: yeah and i think again the one other thing that might be uh making it what it is is this tv show and how that they all want that story to branch together and i don't it all feels like in a way, probably a smart piece of business that they're trying to solve several problems in one go. Like, it's like, we want to make this connected, we want to make everything feel natural and flowing and, like, rub out a few bits that don't match, you know, between games. And then make, you know, give them room to sort of expand on that in the TV show as well. So they clearly want to make it this big thing, this universe, and, you know, the factions game will tell its own story in that same world and we'll just get this big world, you know, they're looking at the big world business sort of thing that's out there, you know, that Sony aren't doing so very well in the movie side of things. (laughs) um, But I'm sure that it's a bit going to be handled a bit better this way.
0: It's so crazy just to think about the business aspect to games and how that's evolved over the last 20 years. The idea that like you're tying in remasters and remakes and sequels Mm. into other forms of media That are exploring that universe in a different way or retelling of those universes in a medium that, you know, maybe some people are more into, which then could be the, you know, the stepping stone into games or vice versa, right? The stepping stone into people that don't necessarily watch a lot of TV, but hey, now this show that this game that you love has a show and how that ties in and whatnot, like the business side of things is for lack of a better word, it's just so crazy to me to think about like even how much the conversation has evolved over the last 10 years, 20 years of games.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy that we're getting, like, you think Ghostbusters, you know, we've had a new film, we're going to get another new film, there's going to be other spin-off things, we've got a new game, we have two games into that. Um, You know, we had the remaster of the old game. It all, the cycle's very similar in those things that you know you usually get like oh here's an old game remastered blah 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 and then you know lead up to the new thing and then the more new stuff comes out and it just snowballs because like again they want to create their own universe and the easiest way to do that is do it multimedia rather than trying to connect 30 odd films into (laughs) one coherent whole because it's just not going to work beyond you know if you (laughs) haven't got like a pre-existing idea so yeah you see it here, there, and everywhere. And, yeah, even even the Evil Dead game has a bit of that, you know, because you know, we're getting an Evil Dead film this year, and it, it stokes the interest of Evil Dead. So, you know, the Alien stuff, we're getting an Alien TV series. You know, we've had uh, two Alien games and Aliens games in the space of a year, basically, announced, and, you know, I'm sure we'll get more stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I just don't hope it doesn't get too much, you know, that we don't get oversaturated with stuff and you know it gets boring when everything is something you know instead of just like here's this special one or two bits of something and you can cherish that forever we're not on like live free and die hard <laughs> sort of times
0: yeah you know it's funny thinking just back a few years talking about how there were lulls in like the release schedule of games or movies or these things mm. and now it's like just within the last few years it's like I don't think I'll ever have that problem again I still haven't even watched, you know, I'm backlogged on not only movies, books, games, but TV now. And it's just like the amount of media that we have, the idea that you could ever not have something to occupy your time with. And yet still the fear of, you know, whether it be a genre or a medium, you know, being oversaturated in a certain way uh, is still a fear. So it's just, it's an interesting kind of just blending of all of these mediums that we love so much and how, you know, the business side of things largely dictates Mm. them um but yeah you know more last of us whether it be a show or you know a remake and whatnot it's not necessarily ever going to be a bad thing because that's a universe that i think uh we definitely have a soft spot for and i look forward to you know diving into that and would you say september yeah i think it's september
1: yeah yeah if i'm remembering rightly um yeah and i'm sure we'll look forward to the next remake in five years where they, <laughs> where they replace joel's face with pedro pascal you know we were just saying about that with the, you know the, with the oversaturation of things and the next game I'm bringing up actually is a good part of that, which is the Kalisto Protocol, you know, which is <laughs> ending up being part of an oversaturation of space horror games. <laughs> it seems, or <laughs> just games of space in general. I, I made the point on it this week. I think we're getting so many space horror games, you know, and games set in space because everyone wants to get the fuck off this planet. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the point, and that's the general thinking behind it. But um, yeah. Before we start recording, I was saying about you remember when people were trying to make the next Resident Evil when they, you know, Capcom had gone and done what they did with making six, you know, the utter shit show that was. And so, you know, you had indie devs going, oh, we'll, we'll do it. We'll make an old school Resi just like that. And all those came up then, of course, they got enough attention for Capcom to turn around and go, well, actually, no, we'll do that now. So, and lo and behold, we got an oversaturation of that kind of game because, yeah, great. Everyone wants that. It's clear to see when a big company does it, everyone else goes well. Then we definitely have to do it. And so this is similar again because um, I remember a few years ago a game called Negative Atmosphere, which was like this. You know, in the absence of Dead Space, you know, here it was a, a indie game made by a few, like a handful of people on in the nineteen twenty. I think there were you know, making this uh, proof of concept for it, you know, and cool, looked interesting, it's steadily gathering pace, but in the meantime, because the cruel world that we have of, you know, independent studios to bigger budget studios, there's loads of the fuckers coming out, <laughs> it's like that, and the Callisto Protocol is, you know, up there, it's going to be trumping, you know, Dead Space, it's getting its remake, and Yeah, we saw games like Fort Solace, The Invincible, Routine, which predates some of these games, but is coming back. Um, And a whole bunch of other stuff is out there that that deals with the same stuff. So, on the plus side, the Kalisto protocol looks great. I think it's looking very much like, yeah, fuck you, we're making Dead Space without you, sort of thing, (laughs) which is great. It's like, yeah. And it, I I think I've mentioned this before, but, you know, it feels very much like it could be the whole um SimCity City Skyline situation for EA again where you know it's like, here's your dead space. It's like, yeah, well here's someone else doing it differently, but better, you know, and that would be cool if that's the case. And it ticked a lot of boxes for me. You know, you had you know, the grizzly player death getting chewed up to <laughs> <in> that mauling, <laughs> the, the grindy gears things, you know, the weirdo creatures that definitely you know look like they're from that i just it looks dread inducing and fucked up and gory and yeah uh, smashy in the in the way that dead space did and i feel that might actually work out better than a, a polished dead space remake by people who didn't make dead space
0: <laughs> right
1: <laughs> how about you
0: yeah you know even before seeing this most recent uh gameplay trailer uh, there was that news, I think within the last week or two weeks, where it was announced that this game is losing its connection to PUBG, which I think Thank is God, yeah. like <laughs> the best news imaginable for something like this. Cause I remember personally being dismissive of it initially when it was announced, cause I was like, okay, so this is going to be tied into PUBG in some way, and then we're gonna see PUBG's influence, and then this game will end up in PUBG or something like that. And again, like taking it back to our The Last of Us part one, uh, <laughs> discussion right the idea that like business is starting to rear its ugly head in games in a way that it's unavoidable and so to have that news kind of just like instilled a breath of fresh air with this game with me um and then getting to see gameplay of course and i totally agree like now looking at the dead space remake and what we've seen what little we've seen it seems too polished compared to uh the Callisto protocol which has my favorite aesthetic of space horror which is it's not glitzy. It's not glammy. The people that are in space, are they are long over the allure of space travel, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you throw in hellish monsters and creative designs at that, um, it just makes for a very visceral space experience in a way that's reflective of the environments, but also, you know, the hellish monsters that I'm sure we're going to encounter. And when you think about the team that's behind it, right, and their yeah. hands-on experience for multiple years in this universe for you know speaking of dead space and then taking that knowledge and going into what you know by all accounts should probably be like the true dead space 3 um, (laughs) it's going to be really interesting to see like all the ideas that more than likely were like left on the cutting room floor and see how those materialize in this new you know game world and whatnot but largely drawing from like a pre-established pool set of you know toolboxes and whatnot but i think that it's just incredibly exciting to see this dev not go with okay we're just going to remake what we already did but we're going to draw the best elements of that and then hopefully take it in some ways that we were stopped from doing you know initially or something to that effect
1: yeah um you know i must say i like the idea that they Agree to the idea of it being part of the PUBG universe just to get it made and then, like, yeah. then got so far and go, you know what? This doesn't, we've done it in a way that it doesn't work anymore. So we're not going to do it. like, yeah. And the audacity of like, you know, PUBG of all things being like, Oh, you've got to be part of this interconnected world. It's like, you mean you, the, the spin off of a mod of another game. It's like, <laughs> right. it's, like it's like, yeah, which, yeah, weirdly, you know, it's, it's not as weird as it sounds when you had, you know, Daisy being part of that genesis of PUBG. So, you know, zombies were there. So surely not a million miles away. The future, the zombies have got to space. And, uh, <laughs> and now it's all weird. So, I, you know, a little bit of connected tissue, but still daft and I'm glad that has gone. Um, yeah, so going back to what we were saying before, how do you feel about, you know, there being so many space games and space horror games sort of shown this? I mean... I think the worst part was that on Summer Games Fest, you know, their opening night show, um, there were just a whole bunch of them in a row. You know, games set in space, games and horror set in space together, you know, and it made it a bit, you know, absurd and daft, and it did make it seem like it was a bit worse than it was. But as everything went on through the week, it became obvious, yeah, there are a lot of them. And, you know, I mean, we didn't even, I didn't even grab some of them. For the show that's because it's just like, well, it's another one, you know, it's like, okay, okay. So, but you know, they all brought interesting things, I think it's just it all sort of blends into one, you know, which is a general criticism of the way these shows have gone is that when you just rack up a load of games and it isn't these like presentations like they were, at E3, stuff gets lost a lot easier. You know it's just like it becomes a mush, and it you know again, not naming names. there was a show that came up this week, where it was just that which is one game after another, they all just felt very indescript, like you literally just got this stuff to fill time. It doesn't feel like you've got this to do anything with it, really, it's just like you wanted to fill up an hour hour and a half, and blah blah um yeah,
0: and so yeah,
1: how did you feel about it?
0: yeah, you know it almost feels like. There, A lot of devs are playing catch-up to fill that void, right? I mean, Mm. it's – and, you know, to make a parallel, I mean, the new Jurassic Park movie came out this weekend and it's been very divisive in terms of the reviews. And somebody on Twitter was just like, okay, that's well and fine, but why aren't there more movies about dinosaurs? Why aren't there more creature features about dinosaurs? This idea that it feels like such an untapped genre – almost, in a way. And I feel that way about space horror, right? I think within the Mm. last probably five years, we've seen more of them, right? There have been uh, more of an influx of them, but at the same time, still not as numerous as I would expect them to be, or at least, you know, quality titles being space horror games. And, you know, with the original Dead Space being as old as it is, you would have thought that, like, we would have been inundated with space horror right out the gate after that initial game's release because of the success and whatnot. But, you know, we didn't necessarily get that. Um, and I think that if anything, it, you know, maybe it's not the best time for everyone to be catching up to fill that void. But at the same time, like you said, a number of the titles that we saw over the course of the week, whether we mentioned them or not, like they're filling that void in their own unique way. Of course, there's going to be yeah. outliers where it's like, well, it's just going to be jump scares in space. I mean, that kind of stuff is unavoidable. But at the same time, I don't know. I think that space... Capture space horror games capture that same primal fear of mine that I have with, you know, underwater horror, which we've lamented uh, ad nauseum on this show before. But just the idea that, like, you are being isolated somewhere and there's no real escape. And, of course, something is more than likely pursuing you. Um, And that's an element of space horror that I love. Um, Whether or not it ends up being, you know, a combat-focused or if it was, you know, something along the lines of, like, a... Uh, Amnesia game, but that's sort of style, but in space, I mean, I just love that whole aesthetic and whatnot. And again, tapping into the kind of space hulkiness of, Mm. you know, none of the glitz and glam of space travel. Anybody that's up there, it's like, okay, yeah, it's just a normal part of life. And the world is reflective of that. Um, You think about like alien, right? I mean, it's like space, space truckers, right? They could not give less of a fuck about being in space. They just want to get home. Um, And their world is reflective of that. And that's an aesthetic that, you know, really taps into my, you know, specific enjoyment of, you know, space horror and whatnot. Probably
1: the biggest thing beyond The Last of Us was Resident Evil, Resident Evil. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, at the time of recording, we've not got the Capcom showcase, so there could be more Resident Evil news. It could just be more showing us stuff that they've already shown.
0: If there are any big announcements that we miss, though, we will make a point to you know talk about it on our Twitter uh, for Safe Room, which is at Safe Room Pod, which people should follow for updates on the show, or you know, sit shooting us uh, comments or questions about stuff we're going to cover. But also, we'll probably be posting more of our thoughts about games that you know things that come up sporadically that we don't necessarily. Have the time to cover on the show, or there's not the best yeah. fit for that, you know, a little bit of a short form sort of getting our thoughts out there on some games. So,
1: Resident Evil 4 remake, we finally got to see, and in the same way that um, Resident Evil 7 sort of pushed forward what happened with Resident Evil 2 and 3 remake, you know, a lot of reused assets, certain atmosphere, things like that to uh, sort of make it a cross project thing there's a definitely a lot of village to uh what resident evil 4 is doing which is great i think that you know it makes it more of a natural fit that they've gone from this to this you know it was much of the talk when we talked about village earlier this you know last year was it last year or was it this year i can't remember what year we're in. it was last year, yeah, last year.
0: <laughs> time has uh has I become know, difficult gosh. to track over the last it two has. and a half
1: years quite how i couldn't remember that i don't know but there you go. Um, yeah, so yeah, a lot of what we said then was that Village had a, a very four vibe, it, you know, all the pre release stuff had a very four vibe. And many even sort of suggested that before it came out that oh it could well be like they've rebooted four and this is the way it's gonna go and then you know, it didn't turn out to be. But still. Um so yeah, it looks a lot darker, a lot meaner than the original game, which you know by all accounts, is quite goofy in, in the Resident Evil fashion. So on that side of things, I'm hoping they haven't lost that entirely because I don't really need super grim, you know, Resident Evil Four because its goofiness makes the, the nastier parts of it work, you know, because Leon feels like he's in a B movie, you know, more than he did in two, which is saying something, and. <laughs> It's and plus you know you had the roundhouse kicks and things like that and you know as much as I I used to hate those parts for being you know, taking the series into the where it went where you ended up with boulder punching and terrible sections of Ada Wong um, it, it didn't you know it it in retrospect it was the right mix of things it was the way to keep what Resident Evil was in its campy sort of high fun sort of thing while still being horror. So, yeah, it's got to keep a bit of that in there, hopefully. Um, Beyond that, you know, it's little teasers here and there, things we've seen before, you know, the main village that you go into at the beginning, some of the enemies hinted at. So enough mystery left. And we know it's going to be coming next year, which is great, you know, it means that we get a ready game again next year. So that's fantastic. How did you feel about that one?
0: Yeah, you know, I had a similar fear, right? This idea of, like, rewriting the identity of what that experience, initial experience was, right? And trying to, like, make it not only, like, literally darker, but just overall, like, I'm worried that that tone could potentially end up with them. I don't know if they would cut content, but just thinking about, like, some of the goofier moments in that game that, you know, like you initially, when I played it, I was like, well, this is kind of a weird direction after coming off of one, two, and three for me, but it's something that I grew to love and accepting the identity of what Resident Evil four was. Yeah. The the idea that it's going to be presented as a darker game. And like, that's going to show up not only in, you know, the graphical updates, but also potentially in the direction of Mm cutscenes, Right. If it's being built from the ground up, there's that fear that, there might not be a shot for shot. You know, it's funny talking about remakes of movies and stuff, the fearing the shot for shot, but with a game, right? If they're going to redirect some of those scenes, cut scenes specifically, that can have real tonal implications for the rest Mm -hmm. of the game and how some moments later on might not play as well as you remember or play well at all with this new tone. Um, So that initially is kind of a fear granted we're in this kind of weird state where they did such a fantastic remake of the original of two. And then the misstep with three, we're Mm. kind of like, again, in this space where it's just like, Oh, I hope we don't make the same mistakes that we just made with, you know, resident evil three, which is a fear. But at the end of the day, like even with those missteps, was it an unplayable experience? No. No. Did it overall diminish the experience of resident evil three? You know, to varying degrees but I wouldn't say that like it completely obliterated my love of the original or anything like that but no. you just kind of have that fear of like well is this going to be handled in the best way possible that you know maybe has a deviation here or there kind of like Resident Evil 2 but still very much feels like that original experience and yeah. is retaining that rather than rewriting it which is a general fear of mine
1: yeah I'm yeah Free was Interesting in what it didn't have, you know. Um, If anything, the one thing it corrects rightly is that it turns it into the half step that it was supposed to be Mm. as a game, you know, and not the true third game in the series as a result. But then they didn't go and make Code Veronica again, so yeah, (laughs) it's hard to take it seriously as that. um, If they were going to do that, Um, though, I hope. Code Veronica will be the next one because if any game needs it, it's that one. You know, for various reasons, it needs it because that game is batshit bananas and has a wonderful atmosphere. And it would be great if that could be brought to the, a new audience that didn't get to appreciate its nonsense when it was a uh, its gameplay style was uh, relevant. I should say, <laughs> 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 But and mostly because uh, yeah. I need an,
0: yeah. I need an excuse to play it.
1: Yeah, it's like, you know, and I, I got love for Code Veronica, but Christ, the whole, it it handles badly, so badly. Um, but I love everything about what it does because it's such a Euro horror vibe after the rest of it. That, you know, in a way, pushes into Resident Evil 4 quite nicely because that obviously is Euro horror essentially because you are going to Europe. But, um, yeah, it's a weird one there. (laughs) Um, so yeah, 4's, Fine and good. I'm sure that they'll find a way to do stuff differently, just as long as they don't make you know certain big moments feel fleeting. You know, which both two and three remake did. You know, you know two did it with the alligator sequence, which I hated it being a QTE <laughs> thing. I really did because I was so looking forward to doing that bit. Um, yeah, but there's plenty of cool stuff to be. Honest. I mean, everyone wants to know how the regenerators. Are going to come into it and uh, how that's going to be? Uh, they were fucking frightening <laughs> then, you know, and disturbing then. So yeah, seeing that, that again with improved audio and uh, visuals will be quite something. Um, I suppose the other half of this this package deal we got was that Village is getting a VR version, which is. Equally frightening. There's <laughs> we know there's a certain section in that game that is going to be. Oh man! No, 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 no! I I, I don't want to do that baby section. Thank you very much. I might, <laughs> <So, laughs> might have to take a Xanax before I play that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I might. Yeah, I think I'll turn the volume off. <laughs> like, <'cause>,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, talking about like the idea of VR for Resident Evil, right? I think that. I only briefly played the VR section of Resident Evil 7, but mm-hmm. that I felt was a perfect utilization of VR because, you know, it is a very claustrophobic game. Yeah. Talking about fears about, you know, introducing new modes or, you know, remaking or remastering. Village is a much more open game, right? I yeah. mean, outside of the castle section at the beginning, the men- the uh, house section that you just mentioned, like, it is a game that is a much more open in terms of exploring these various environments and whatnot, which I don't know if it has the same allure for me that the Resident Evil seven did right. Where it's much more fitting. I find at least in my preference for like the few VR experiences I've had, it's like, well, I want to explore this environment in more detail because it is more Mm -hmm. highly detailed because, you know, get to pick through the bits and bobs and pick apart the more environmental details. And, That's not to say like villages and gorgeous overall. And, you know, visually speaking, it's got these grandiose kind of overwhelmingly large canyons and things that you're exploring. At the same time, though, like for me personally, I don't know if that plays as well in VR. Granted, I'm not well versed in VR, but that's just kind of what struck me initially with that. I mean, from a business side of things, I understand why they want to include Mm -hmm. a VR mode. But I was just thinking about if I was to go, you know, replay Village for a third time, I was like, I don't know if I would really be inclined to do it in VR.
1: Hmm. I think the main thing here is that, you know, it's, it's going to be PSVR 2, so it'll be more tactile than the current setup. You know, it's not going to be the ones that literally be like, as they showed in it, you know, they showed the chucking one a gun from one hand to the other thing. Mm-hmm. That's not always going to be possible in that game. That's for, that's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, you're gonna get proper phantom limb syndrome in there yeah. surely we'll at some points. Um but yeah, I mean, it'd be cool. It just again will depend on how well the uh, PSVR two is priced, I think is the main mm-hmm. thing. And and yeah. you know, for everyone to be able to get a PS five in the first place to go with it. So. That,
0: that's the thing. I I commented earlier on making the list, it's like that list is fine and good, but if I can't buy the damn thing, I don't know <laughs> it's yeah. gonna be an issue.
1: Yeah, it's like Half-Life Alex doesn't exist to me and, until I can play it. So it's like, uh, it to me, it's some sort of fever dream that a bunch of people have had, and that's it. Okay, so um, what's next?
0: So up next is Layers of Fears, and I almost mispronounced that as I was saying it. Uh, <laughs> Bloober is returning to their roots. Uh, they are coming back to, you know, Layers of Fear with Layers of Fears, which seems to be a continuation of, you know, this family curse of artists and kind mm-hmm. of just the madness that goes with that, right? Their uh, their talents as an artist in various fields comes with a price. And it's a price that, you know, has essentially tormented and plagued every member of the family. Um, and, you know, as much as we enjoyed the original Layers of Fear, Layers of Fear 2, we were not as keen on, but I think if anything, my impression of Layers and Fear 2, since we chatted about it for the podcast, has probably improved after I had had more experience with some of Bloober Team's later games, you know, um, like specifically The Medium, right? Which is a game that we talked about and, you know, we gave it a fair amount of praise, but it seems that the further that we get from that conversation and Mm. thinking about it, like such a massive misstep in certain regards, which we don't have to, you know, rehash in much depth here. But, you know, initially it was kind of like, okay, we're returning to layers of fears. And I was like, well... Do we want them to have another shot at something that's more original? But if anything, like this feels like the hard reset that they need uh, to kind of get their bearings back. Because it's not to say that everything that they've done since that hasn't worked. But I don't know that if it's ever worked quite as well as Layers of Fear and Layers of Fear 2. I mean, how did you feel about the announcement of Layers of Fears? So, you
1: know, at first it was a bit, you know, is this a remake or, or is it a collection? What is mm. it? Cause you know, they're making Unreal Engine 5, so fair enough. You know, they're testing that out. They like, you know, they clearly like to test things out tech wise and, you know, try to push things forward. What it seems to be is a remake of what the games were, but now into a more coherent, cohesive whole mm. to tell a new story that is just. You know, a legacy story that will probably include like the Inheritance DLC of Layers of Fear and obviously Layers of Fear 2 stories, you know, There were several key shots from both of those games where you're like, ah, yeah, mm-hmm. I know that from that. And that would be cool. Um, I think it goes back to this whole thing we were saying about The Last of Us Part 1 to Part 2. It's blending it together as a series, probably with something else in mind further on. But also, knowing the way they do things, it also feels like it's an experiment for the other thing they're making, you know, that's it, which is that thing that people may not be happy about them making. (laughs) 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 And, you know, if that game ends up looking anything as good as this did, though, you know, I I very much like the idea of going back to that series anyway, because it does some cool things. It's, you know, it, it feels like Blueberry, it, its purest, it doing what it wanted to do, you know, Layers of Fear was the game that was them bouncing back from the basement crawl thing, you know, where they had a, made a really shitty game. They redeemed themselves somewhat by correcting some of its faults and remaking that game differently after, after constructive criticism. I'm hoping this will work in some, the same sort of way, you know, where we'll get this, you know, learning experience, this is what we've learned, we'd like to refine what we made before moving on to the next step. And that, for me, is why it feels like it's a good idea for them to be doing this now. And, you know, and just hopefully a good reset of public opinion as well, because people full-on hate the shit out of them for what happened with the medium, and I understand why completely, because they handled the subject matter in that game so badly. Yeah, But... So you know, as we've you know discussed at length, but uh, yeah, I think it cannot be forgotten that they can make good games. It isn't that you know that was like, oh, yeah, they've always made terrible games, that's just the latest one. they've made bad games, they've made disappointing games, but you know they bounce back you know they make good stuff, they can do it, and I think this would be a good reset point for them,
0: yeah, you know it's. They need to return to what they know and what they've had success with. It gives them an opportunity to, you know, experience and play around with Unreal 5, which will, of course, probably impact their project, other project Mm -hmm. that they're working on. And I think it'll be a good hard reset for them again. Like, it's just this idea that hopefully this will be a more refined and gorgeous version of something that has worked in the past. Of course, it experimented a little bit in the sequel and it was not quite... What the original did, but at the same time, like you can't fault them for experimenting and pushing that exploration horror, adventure horror kind of framework in a direction where there's a little more interactivity. Um, And if anything, you know, you've never been able to fault their games on the production value side of things. So the idea that using this new tech is not going to make what they've done in the past pop in a way that Mm. will make it, you know, whether it's people returning to it or people experiencing it for the first time that's exciting in a way that I think will hopefully remind them of where their strengths lie. And, you know, for the next time that they go on and they make something that is more original in terms of like a narrative or something, realize that maybe they need to outsource a little more or, you know, invest in the talent more to help craft that story and get, you know, a third party perhaps involved in, you know, helping orchestrate that story. Cause from the tech side of things we've seen, they're able to pull that in the production value off and whatnot. It's just the narrative side of things could use a little more tweaking in terms of, you know, the types of subject matter they're going to handle, but also more importantly, the way in which they're going to handle that subject matter (laughs) uh, has proved to be uh, an important thing that they definitely need to refine, especially the next time they take a big swing like that. Um, So, you know, hopefully this layers of fears will be the thing that reminds them where their strengths lie. And prepares them for the future of what they're going to deliver.
1: Yeah, hopefully so. Um, right. So as we're, we're trying to get through this first half as quick as we can, <laughs> um, uh, A Plague Tale Requiem showed up twice this week. We had it at Tribeca, which was a nice insightful look into like the background of the making of it. Um, and then we just seen it at the Xbox one as well. So yeah, I go for that one as being, again, we've talked about the original game on here before. We, I think we talked about this game when it got announced as well. And yeah, I mean, it's more of that game. It, it, bigger, better, better looking. So much I could say about it, but <laughs> I think the most interesting thing for me here was it seems to be pushing combat a bit more this time. But also making that part of the story of like trying not to want to do that and having a consequence to seeking out vengeance and violence and continuing the story in a way that really is doing it for me, I think. I think it will make the game more interesting as a whole. I don't think it's going... Full on quite like um you know, there was a lot of criticism about the last of us part two for that, where you know it was like now you're just going a bit far with the violence now it's just violence for violence' sake here, given the tone of the first game, I feel like it will be a more nuanced I sort of thing It will just feel like you no, know, you know they've been through struggles, it's obvious why it would get at someone who's so young and been so defenseless that now has this. You know, is growing more skilled is growing more you know cunning and smart and has this sibling with a power you know to help control the evil swarms of rats they have in a way it it seems inevitable that you would end up using that to fight back more often than not so yeah how are you
0: yeah you know that was the one thing i took away from this trailer was just a bit of dialogue that You know, and then you have obviously the. I think that it's kind of funny the way that they line that up, where Hugo is basically telling his sister, uh, No, remember, we're not going to kill. You can't kill anybody. That's not how we're going to do things. And then the next scene is her, you know, slitting a guard's throat or, you know, jumping on a guy and stabbing him in the face or something. But that is the thing that I think is interesting, could potentially be interesting, you know, about the sequel is that seeing how acts of violence impact their relationship, right? Because. It's the type of thing that it's a story about kids having to mature much faster than they normally would because they're in this volatile, violent world, right? And they have to grow up quickly or otherwise they're not going to survive. And seeing how they're going to allow this violent world to impact them, whether they're going to, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like remain pure and not kill people and not become one of these violent members of society, or if they're going to succumb to the fact that, oh, well, these encounters must be solved by violence. like. From a gameplay standpoint, that's not really new, right? You can either go through with stealth or you can take out your targets. But I think it's much more interesting from a character development standpoint. And so long as the story reflects that in a way that I think needs to be more substantial than just Hugo's going to chastise you once in a while. Like, that's not enough, I think, for something like this. If it's going to be something that says, like, you can kill or you can sneak past, which is more difficult, but it's going to have some sort of significance later down the road. The investment needs to be there. And, you know, with as much as I love the original game, I trust in the devs that they're going to have it be more significant than just like, I wish you would stop killing people. Like this is getting like that kind of thing where at the end of the day that it's like, well, why, what is the, unless you're somebody that wants more of a challenge, what's the point in doing stealth if it's easier to kill people? Um, other than that you know obviously the game looks gorgeous it looks like there's going to be from the brief gameplay trailer we saw more sort of traps in the environment that you can set off Mm -hmm. with your sling you know you can go prone and crawl under tables and stuff but um, overall like uh, even if it ended up being not a lot of deviations in terms of like the gameplay and options like that I just want to go back to that universe and that handling of dark fantasy and the medieval setting, and seeing how yeah. Hugo's powers now that he has them and knows how to use them to a certain extent, seeing how that plays more into the gameplay, I think will be interesting. And yeah, it's a a game that I'm very much looking forward to and thankful that you know, again, it's one of these Game Pass play on day one type deals.
1: Yeah, it's going to be something to see those. You know, rats warm tidal wave things <laughs> that are going on there. <laughs> that sounds terrifying. Um, cool. Yeah. So we're definitely looking forward to that. Hopefully we'll have more to say on that in the future. Okay. So we'll round off the first half of the show with, with again, the, God, the minute I saw it, I wanted to talk about it the most, <laughs> you know, so naturally I had to leave it for last here yep. on this bit. So that is Arcane Austin's Redfall which we had only seen like a trailer of before that that didn't really have gameplay in it. Mm -hmm. Here we got a whole chunk of gameplay and boy, did it instantly feel like it was made by the people who made Prey and and Dishonored because, (laughs) which is weird to say because it's nothing like it. You know, it's like, you know, it's New England, it's it's vampires.
0: That I think is the tell of a developer that has a distinctive style that you could say it looks like these other games that they've done and yet it's something completely original. But people that have played their games, they know what you're saying. And they know mm. that like that is, hopefully, they know that that's like the highest compliment you can give. Oh, this is indicative of a team that's drawing from things that they've done previously, but they're building upon that in a pretty significant way. And it looks promising as it does here with Redfall.
1: Yeah. Um, I suppose the big thing that we knew before was you know, the multiplayer, the co-op nature of it. You know, they were keen to say, oh, you can play this on your own you know, without anyone else, or you can play it with others. And, you know, Deathloop sort of provided the first step in that direction by having that sort of invasion mode thing, which you know, is underrated as hell in terms of what that did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um So, yeah, to see the evolution of that here and the idea of an immersive sim, I don't know, it probably won't be an immersive sim to the same level as that, but knowing what they can do with that sort of thing, and having other people influence what's going on as well, it just sounds amazing to me. You know, like you know, every, every character's got their abilities, supernatural things they can do, like telekinesis and a literal, like spiritual lift. I think of one of the things. Um, it's just
0: a void elevator.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I like that. It's not taking itself too seriously and that. And the, the visual style is, you know, got that cartoonish edge that works for it. Now, I like the vampire design, these gangly things that, you know, look classic and also modern at the same mm. time. The locale just looked perfect. We were lamenting how, you know, it's, it's a shame it won't be an autumn game because, it, you know, New England in the fall, as they say, is it, it, the perfect sort of look for that game.
0: New England represent.
1: <laughs> and yeah, so I, so much about it looks amazing to, you know it'll have a story-led thing which you know one of the big criticisms about uh many of the co-op horrors we've had in recent times are that you know the story's there but you don't get to hear most of it because you're too busy shooting the <laughs> shit out of things or, or two 100 things are coming at you at once right so if it is like that introductory sequence we saw you know which she's going through the church and seeing bits like that that'd be cool because a middle ground between you know the co-op shooters we've had and something like arcane have made would just be like brilliant for me you know and the fact that you can play it on your own is a relief i think as well because i'd like to think that means that they are focusing on something that's very story led very immersive sim led you know in terms of the things they can do obviously not everyone who worked on prey is there anymore you know some of them went off to make in the studio, Wild, uh, Wild, is Wolf Wolfie? Wild, although that made, yeah, Wolfie that made, uh, Wild West, Weird West. So, not too many works <laughs> in that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it would be, that will be the one thing that may be a slight concern is that, you know, you've lost some great talent there, but that's not to say there isn't still a lot there anyway. So, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to a vampire game for a start and just the setting has really just done it for me you know i i like that aesthetic so much you know and it it, it consider how much stephen king has made that sort of side of the world feel a bit more uh, horror imbibed anyway so it, it to me instantly that was like ah oh, it feels very king you know in a very vague way but it, it is still there for me as an englishman it is just like uh, that's my idea of that side of america that's it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, how, how did you feel on that one?
0: Yeah, you know, as a bred New Englander, like just seaside New England is my setting. Like, I love that idea. <laughs> and I didn't even realize that that, I don't know if they'd announced that previously, that it was going to be set in New I, England. I but... can't
1: remember, yeah. It's like, it was streets really the first last time we'd seen it. And it was obviously in a sort of CG thing. Um, so it wasn't entirely clear, if I remember rightly. But either way, yeah, I didn't realize it would be
0: but yeah so, but just yeah. in terms of like the environments we got to explore it has a very you know sleepy mm. seaside town kind of feel to everything and clearly you know based on some of the character dialogue like it's their home right so they comment on the yeah. locales that you visit like one of them laments the fact that they can't stand that all oh, the vampires really fucked up the movie theater which was their number one go-to hangout and stuff yeah. and then you get glimmers of that but then also you get to explore some of the like else world environments that are hidden there that the vampires have you know there's this whole idea that like the vampires have blocked out the sun and the fact that they have been taking over parts of the chunks of new england and that like they're indoctrinating these cultists that basically are serving the vampires and hopefully like becoming vampires one day Um, but also just like the graphical style but more importantly the personality of each of the classes, I think, came through from what little we saw, yeah. right? I mean, though, even the way that they're introduced, like the telekinetic character is labeled as like a – what is the quote? A, te- a telekinetic threat in student debt, which you know rings true <laughs> for me at the very least for part of that. But it's the type of thing that I like how they're able to – not only from a gameplay side of things, but also just in terms of like establishing this as – A character with their own unique identity or vernacular for, you know, as far as that goes and things like that, um, which I think helps to sell the idea that there is a larger story to be explored here because that is always my fear with, and I think it's a general fear for people that have, that are like buying into a multiplayer experience, especially one where it's the idea is mostly that you're going to play this in co-op, even if there's a solo option there you wonder how much is of the story actually like is going to play into this. Is it just going to be, here's three sentences that give you background on an environment before you go there, or you're going to attribute like two sentences of lore to this creature that you have to kill at the end of a, a raid or whatever. Um, so, you know, that still remains to be seen, but I think that given their track record and also just the overall aesthetic, but also the varied amount of abilities that characters have and whatnot from what we've seen, um, it's definitely it was dope as fuck, I gotta say, to see this be the opening <laughs> moment of the Xbox Bethesda showcase too, a game that you know, recent, uh, I don't remember when it was, but it was delayed right, until next year. and to see them right out the gate lead with gameplay for this game that we talked about last year and, you know, had an intriguing CGI trailer initially. but other than that, we didn't know much about it. And I mean, to lead with that, not only it being a horror game, but, you know, a vampire-centric horror game, set in New England, co-op, squad-based shooter and whatnot, um, it it did the hard good to see them lead with something like that, which, you know, talking about the state of horror in games in general, like, could you imagine them opening up a major showcase five years ago with a horror game like this? Like, I can't. Yeah,
1: like that. You know, a brand new one as well. Not yeah, brand like, new as well. Any, no, no license, no sequel, nothing like that. It's just a brand new game like that. From a studio that constantly gets dicked on by industry parties like that you know it's know one way or the other either people get annoyed that they're showing too much of their games because they need and then go and play those games and go i don't get it because you know <laughs> that's why they're showing you all these things um but yeah this was another one where you know alpha footage came out not long after that reveal and of course because it was alpha footage and like really early footage as well people were shitting on it left or right, or right because console wars but you know and you know, saying, "Oh, it's terrible! It's going to be terrible! This game terrible!" And that became the common theme. I kept seeing when people talked about it. It was like, "Oh, it's that terrible-looking game." We saw it. it was like, "I saw that from some devs actually, which was really surprising." I was like, "Really? Do you, you know how game development works? <laughs> Off to be a bit like that about it." I mean, even with this, they were like, "This is pre-beta." I think they said the gameplay footage, and even it's looking a lot better than it did then. You know, it's looking like you know, a game that's progressed in development and yeah i'm happy that it's already looking that good yeah and yeah i'm really really looking forward to that
0: yeah redfall is uh definitely a game that i can't wait you know i'm clamoring to get more footage of or just more info on and i'm sure you know coming out of this weekend and then talking about it they will be plenty of uh, detailings and whatnot. Hopefully some pre- hands-on previews maybe, but yeah, that might I be.
1: Think, yeah, I think they mentioned they are doing like a, a second show, aren't they, tomorrow mm. from what we're recording, which is today, if you listen to them today, <laughs> please. Uh, where they're showing gameplay of a few of their games. So hopefully we'll get to see a bit more. So.
0: Yeah, well, hopefully we don't have much longer to wait. But uh, yeah, I think we're going to take a, a quick break and when we come back, we'll talk about some other, you know, really exciting announcements that came out of this Week of uh, not E3, but still plenty of uh, showcases displaying games. And we're back from our break. Uh, we're going to dive right into Scorn, which is a game that uh, we've been beating that drum for a while now. And it got to the point where it was kind of unsure of whether or not this was actually come to fruition, right? I mean, it's a game that immediately stood out to us because of, you know, the clear inspiration from H.R. Geiger, of course, of Alien fame and whatnot, and it has that aesthetic through and through. But you know, various delays, the fact that it's in, been in development forever, very little gameplay, and then it popped up on the showcase, the Xbox Bethesda showcase, and wasn't the longest gameplay trailer we've seen, but it was actual gameplay, and it was different than what we had seen on the various you know sprinklings that have come out on uh, the devs have released on YouTube and whatnot. So. Uh, how did uh, the scorn reveal go for you? What did you think?
1: Ah, oh, finally, that's what I felt. It's like to see it actually in action. Just, you know, ha- having heard there was a release date coming, rumored just beforehand, like nah, come on, you know, these these rumors are getting out of hand. <laughs> We're having scorn getting released, but yeah, there it is. It's coming, and it looks sick as fuck <laughs> in the best in the best way. Um, you know, it really does tap into that Geiger Cronenbergist. Thing that works really well. That I'd hoped would translate well into the actual game proper, and it seems like it is. There's some nasty looking shit there, and I'm pleased about that. So, we've got a nice, grisly, nasty, body horror esque game coming for Halloween season. So, perfect.
0: It's one of those things where, you know, even if the game doesn't end up being. As long as we'd like, just I'm thinking again in terms of like the release window for the game, how little we've seen. My guess is that it's not going to be the longest experience just based on kind of like the little inklings that we've seen. But at the same time, like the shorter, the better might be the key to that game's success in terms of it might not necessarily do a whole lot that we haven't seen before. But if it creates a world that is as unique and grotesque and icky in the best way possible you know short and sweet might be the route to go with something like this um and you know even if it by all accounts of fps standards it seems to be pretty straightforward the little kind of cronenbergian twists and turns that they can take on any mechanic will, you know it'll go the distance i think in terms of really leaning into that aesthetic in the most uh rewarding and interactive means possible
1: yeah that'd be one I'd, i'm going to be keen to uh it's not keen, maybe, but to uh, <laughs> play Agony uh, again before that and contrast and compare because you know, that was another one that came in uh, the same sort of direction and whiffed it shot massively. But, um, yeah, I like to see the difference in, in that because I, I think Agony is a fascinating sort of study in that and how to do that wrong. So, yeah, I, I think maybe when we cover Scorn, uh, when that comes out, then a good double bill thing there too
0: yeah absolutely and you know any well i'm sure we'll uh hold any game in high regards that opens with the character ripping out an umbilical cord so we'll see how that goes (laughs) (laughs)
1: um so yeah we the the whole living weapon things like that kind of ties in nicely to the next thing i wanted to mention which was the justin Roiland sort of made high on life which is a you know quite noticeably from the same place that gave you Solar Opposites and Rick and Morty. Um, basically had like, a, it's a sci-fi city thing where the guns are like living creatures that talk to you. And yeah, so it's very like that sort of humor and style. You know, I had to bring it up because it just, yeah, you know, even on Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites, there are some very grisly, nasty bits and bobs that mm-hmm. happen in those things. So, it feels like this is going to have a bit of that weird body horror, what the fuck nonsense going on. Uh, yeah, it has to be mentioned because it, it, and it looks genuinely quite funny. You know, I know Rick and Morty has this horrible, you know, <laughs> reputation at this point for being that show. And, you know, but, um, I think Soda Opposites prove that, you know, there's, there's plenty of juice in that tank for doing weird, fucked up things that aren't Rick and Morty.
0: Yeah, and, you know, considering that the humor is directly tied into the function of some of the weapons, at least what we saw briefly there, that makes me a little bit hopeful that, you know, even if the game only has the same three or four jokes, they might be spread out a little bit based on, or they'll be, you know, reflective of the gameplay that the player, you know, chooses those paths and whatnot. What weapons or what tools they're overly relying on. I mean, the punchline of one of them is the fact that, like, you have all these different guns or tools and then you pull out the knife and even the knife has a face that talks to you. Like it kind (laughs) of just shows the potential of any piece of gear that you utilize will have a different personality with different humor attached to it. So, you know, that might, if anything, convince the player to like rotate that arsenal rather than relying on the same two tools because, you know, maybe you get tired of hearing the same type of jokes or commentary over and over ad nauseum.
1: Yeah, I mean, that might be the the one risk that if there is an annoying weapon, you're not going to use it even if you want it. <laughs> so, that's true. That's the
0: other side of that
1: coin. Yeah, uh, which you, you'd never think you'd hear yourself say that, you know, I'm not going to use this weapon because it's annoying, not because it's not a good weapon. It's just it's, it, it, talking, it pisses me off somewhat. So, yeah, sorry, what's next?
0: Uh, well, let's dive into, you know, Oxenfree 2 Lost Signals, which, you know, mm. has been in Tribeca. Uh, also, you know, there's been some gameplay footage that's been displayed. We'll have more to say about that hopefully soon we get a little bit of hands-on time with that but i guess if we're going to be leading into that down the in the line of us getting our hands on it i mean what is kind of your hopes for a sequel of Oxenfree, whether it be narrative or gameplay like what is something that you'd like to see them build off of the original
1: well i must say what i've seen and what they explained has been a good thing for me i, I like that it's taking a separate junction you know a story set apart from the original, but going back to the original locations years later with with an older cast. Because I'm fascinated to see how that will work out because, you know, the way the teenagers talk to each other in Oxenfree was like one of the big things that made it stand out. So, yeah, seeing that change in in dynamic, to me, is going to be the the thing that makes, you know, if it lives or dies on that one, I suppose. Yeah, it's looking like, Everything I could want from a sequel you know it's distinguishably oxen free but you know upgraded and visually in so many ways so i'm 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 looking forward to getting to see more of that one,
0: yeah, it's the type of thing where I enjoyed the original so much based off of just the characters and interactions. I'll take any type of experience I can get with those characters and revisiting mm. that world, and you know it helps when it has that fresh coat of paint, but at the same time. Seeing the ways in which you can interact with the world and the ways in which the supernatural side of things can influence yeah. the real world and whatnot, and the ways in which the devs can use that to you know facilitate potentially new avenues of storytelling while at the same time still kind of rekindling those relationships between those characters and you know the sort of adolescent uh, young adult horror kind of vibe of the original, and ensuring that like those genuine relationships and conversations, maybe aren't overshadowed by maybe more of an emphasis on the supernatural side of things, but seeing how the two can really like inform one another and uh, hopefully equally yeah. creative ways like in the original. Um, yeah. But, you know, in terms of, you know, whether it not be a direct sequel, but in terms of like revisiting a universe that uh, we've been fortunate enough to revisit frequently, uh, you know, we got the announcement of aliens, dark descent, which, You know, we talked about Aliens Fireteam not too long ago. And, you know, this again was a brief trailer, but I think it was a really intriguing one because it offers Mm. up that Colonial Marines experience in a gameplay manner that I don't believe we've ever seen it in before. Right. This idea of a squad based uh, RTS shooter, which, you know, by all accounts, what we've seen, it's very much going to be, you know, a squad of Colonial Marines and they're going to have a variety of abilities pulse rifle, smart gun, fending off hordes of xenomorphs. But I don't know, the idea of having a squad that you can control in an RTS fashion almost, that's intriguing. And for me, you know, I'm sure for you as well, like being such massive fans of Alien and Aliens, getting to facilitate that role of a commander in a way that you're having before, like there's a certain allure to that, I would think.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the change in uh you know, genre direction is definitely refreshing because when I, you initially get this, you know, cutscene gameplay and stuff that, that they were showing, it was like before you saw the proper game. I was worried that uh, it's like, oh no, it, it kind of undermines what's already gone. You know, if you're going to have Iron Galaxy thing be ruled out almost by another aliens game that's similar. Though then it seemed like it was going to be more survival horror, and then I thought, oh, is this like going to be like a spiritual successor to alien isolation you know i know it's not going to be creative assembly because they're doing other things but still it felt like that for a bit because it was very much the oh i'm all alone this all happened i'm i thought well I'm aliens as a colonial marine on their own scrapping for survival sounds amazing but then it took that turn and it was like what it is and i genuinely have no problem with it because i love those kind of games anyway so it's fine and uh, anything that gives me XCOM vibes uh, it is great and you know aliens is like the most XCOM of things to, to do um yeah so yeah I, I, I'm happy enough that it's taking somewhere new on the old
0: thing with it yeah and it looks like also there's a brief moment in that you know very brief trailer where it looks like we might be facing off against a new type of foe which mm. is something that you know I don't think we've necessarily seen before there's it looks like some kind of humanoid Cyborg thing that does yeah. not look like a what are they called? Handy Joes is that what they're usually called? Yeah, uh, but it doesn't oh, look working like working Joes, yeah. yeah, working Joes. Uh, it doesn't necessarily look like that, so I don't know. Again, it's a brief little thing that they don't you know explain much of, but I think that the idea that you can get a new gameplay format for aliens and that they're potentially going to flesh out the lore or just that universe in any way. I'm always in favor of, and I think that that's how they should handle it, right? The idea that if you're going to introduce, and they did it with Fireteam to a certain extent, right? They reintroduced maybe some of the types of Xenomorphs that were only in the Dark Horse comics, and they were never in the movies or other games. So that's always kind of my thing. with If you're going to continue building upon a universe, you know, draw from that large lore. It's kind of like Star Wars in that regard, right? Yeah, Star Wars, the movies, have only dabbled in, you know half of the types of creatures and universes and tech that are in the novels or the comics or even in video games. So the fact that the Aliens franchise is getting that is always exciting.
1: Yeah, and I think that's actually credit to the trailer in itself, that it's a constant misdirect and constantly keeping you guessing about, you know, you know it's Aliens-based early on, just because, you know, the Marines uniform is like that distinguishable. Um, But yeah, when they... Do the whole you're about to see the alien, you're about to see the alien, and then it's the cybernetic weirdo, and it's like that was like oh I was kind of intrigued then straight away because like okay they're they're throwing something different in here
0: yeah and I mean even the colonial marine comments on it right that's one of the few lines of dialogue and that's the thing that gives them pause right because clearly like when the trailer starts one of the marines has already been killed and they comment on that. And then when he sees this, like, cybernetic enemy that it, it gives the entire squad pause before the Xenomorph shows up. Yeah. And the Xenomorph showing up is not a surprise because they've encountered it. So that, you know, again, how, who knows how much they delve into that, how much of a focus that is. But as somebody that's been essentially like a lifelong Alien, Aliens fan, that's exciting in a way that we haven't seen in games in a while, in the Alien universe in a while. So it'll be interesting to see how that game kind of fleshes out in, uh, I believe, 2023, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's that soon, which is
0: good. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, moving from the Aliens franchise, we're going to move into Immortality, which is another uh, experience from Sam Barlow. Uh, And it is really, really fascinating getting to see a trailer for this game because you were familiar with this, I believe, but I was not. Um, And getting to see the way in which it takes you know a variety of mediums, whether it be you know it being obviously a game, but then it's really about the manipulation. It seems of videos and media and finding clues in these uh, clips and whatnot, and trying to like uncover the mystery behind this actress that goes missing uh, and exploring her filmography and things like that. Um, it made for a really intriguing trailer that. I was not expecting. I mean, this is, again, a game that I think you and I are going to get some hands-on time with sometime soon. So we'll talk about it in more depth, obviously. But, you know, just from a concept standpoint, this was one of the most intriguing things that I saw because it's essentially a mystery. And I, again, wouldn't go so far as to say it's a murder mystery, but it's a mystery game in the disappearance of someone that has yeah. a level of interactivity that... I think is very uncommon and it Mm. makes for something really intriguing that at the forefront might seem familiar, but in that regard of like, Oh, I'm going to go through this, this missing actress's filmography and pick out little clips of something that might seem off or this or that, like that makes for a really enticing uh, mystery. How did this land for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, getting to see a little more of the the bones, of how it works, you know, and this whole thing, you can literally just click on certain aspects of the thing as it's running and segue into a new scene or something like that, that's separate than finding, you know, evolving that thing that Barlow did with her story, you know, and telling lies and just making, you know, clicking to the next thing, to the next thing, but making it this flowing integral part of this in its own right, this very mysterious package of data and media. And I love the way that it was talked about at the Tribeca thing, because, It's got very much the air of the Blair Witch Project about it in terms of, no, not in terms of what it's doing in story or anything, but in terms of how they're presenting this story, where they're taking reality and fiction and blending them in a way that makes you sort of second guess whether what you're actually getting told is real stuff or not. And I like that about it because you think, well, of course, it's quite possible I couldn't have heard of this stuff. But there's aspects of it where it's like, okay, well, that doesn't look like it fits that era. Is that on purpose? Is that not like that? And that little fusion there I love to see. And it instantly makes me want to go kind of dive into it more and see what, you know, and the hints of this being like some darker mystery behind it all. And, that, you know, it's been said that it has this horror tinge is why it's here. And yet that's still not been revealed, really. So, yeah, I, I'm really into This whole David Lynch, by the way, of Blair Witch Project sort of idea that's, you know, a game still, you know, it very much is a game, but it's done in a way that feels very cross media in a way Isn't probably is going to feel wanky for some. But I think it it fascinates me because of what it's doing. So, yeah, I am very, very keen to get on with this one.
0: Yeah, you know, I would say for me, somebody that hasn't played any of Sam Barlow's recent games, but I'm definitely going to leading up to this. It's the type of thing where you can see the potential for like a more supernatural trajectory, right? Mm. Because the way that it presents everything, it's presenting it very matter of fact. It feels very grounded, but there's the sense that like something is off slightly. Yes, And I think that that is the perfect teaser for something that could go completely batshit in terms of the more supernatural direction it could take, which, like you had said, is very akin to something like a David Lynch movie or, you know, Twin Peaks specifically, right? Something that presents itself very procedurally, but you can see the potential for things to go completely in a direction that you are not anticipating. And I think that's what makes this so exciting, despite the fact that initially the way it presents it, it's like, well, yeah, it's another famous starlet that maybe got caught up in the big movie business type of a thing and whatnot. And it just makes for a trailer that is, I don't know. You can sense there's like something lurking in the backgrounds that's pulling the strings yeah. and whatnot. And that's always kind of like my soft spot. You can't quite put your finger on what's wrong, but something yes. is wrong that's and it. getting to the bottom of that mystery uh, will hopefully be as enticing as the trailer indicates it could be. Um But I think next we're going to delve into something that we had only seen a trailer of briefly last year and then it got delayed and pushed, which was Marvel's Midnight Suns, which was a game that, you know, to be fair, like I was not super keen on. You were more keen on. But if anything, I think this trailer and if anything, them taking time to, you know, really refine what they're doing has and of course like it being for access like there is a, a good amount of goodwill there um with the XCOM stuff but at the same time i don't know taking more time to perfect something and this trailer being more refined i think almost than what we've seen whether it be in some gameplay or just the overall direction of cinematics um it kind of reinvigorated my interest in this game in a way that i probably didn't have four or five months ago i mean How did this trailer land for you? Did it further kind of just like stir on your interest in Midnight Suns?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's no escaping the fact that there's a tiny part of me was like, I kind of want it to be (laughs) XCOM, but knowing it, you know, despite the fact that you know they've constantly said it's not, you know, it's going to be a very different thing. What I was very happy to see, especially with the gameplay stuff that went out from places like Game Informer, I think it was, um, it, it does still feel quite XCOM like in presentation of the game itself when it's playing out, you know, just but it's now more like Divinity, you know, in terms of it. It's an a turn based RPG. And somehow that makes it even more amazing because that then reminds me of Wasteland and Wasteland two three, which are that sort of fusion where it's like turn based strategy, but you have freedom of movement. Um so yeah, that that instantly was like high on the list. Um Little concerns like um, how drawn out the fight was that they showed in that area. I like the idea of these like demonic versions of heroes and villains. You know, like the, they finished that uh, cinematic trailer with you know the demon Hulk and things like that, and the, the Venom getting all you know beefed up. It was yeah, I so yeah, like that. You know, it's taken a very horror edge from the start, which you know, I'm all for. You know, it means we get lights of Blade and Ghost Rider in it. And yeah, just I like the stuff they were talking about on Game Informer about the, you know that you have these relationship-building things between the characters in your squad and stuff like that. And uh, and yeah, so you had this um, great sort of camaraderie supposed to be going on in there, and like growing that and sounds like they've got that whole HQ-based thing going on from XCOM. So I think there's a lot of, you know, stuff from what they've done before in there, you know, and the character models are, you know, very much XCOM-esque in terms of what they do, um, especially like NPCs and stuff. So, yeah, I really want to see how it works. I love the combat system as well. Just this whole thing of, like, knocking things into things like that to... Like the the portal technique, I love that. That was cool. Just knocking someone for a portal, to, to sort of you know, cue ball off into something else to do double damage in one turn. And the card system, you know, I was very apprehensive about that. You know, hearing about that at first, I was thinking, I hate fucking card game stuff in games. It just nah, I don't. I don't need it. It's like give me control most of the time. But I think it's a great compromise for like these are people with powers. And we can't say, well, they can't do that. We can't have percentages and like this, you know, we can't have them whiffing hits from two inches away. You know, that stuff. So having it, no, everything will hit, but it, it's about playing the right card at the right time and making the most of that card. It really feels like a refreshing evolution of what Forex have done before. So yeah, I'm somehow more into this than ever. I mean, it's the first Marvel thing that's really done it for me in a while. I mean, it doesn't... Feel like it's made to be this big blockbuster thing it feels i think it's been mentioned multiple times out there but it does have a feel of marvel before disney about it you know it, and you know it's got a not a naffness but like a, a cheese level to it that just feels like the comics it and feels like comic
0: that. booky yeah in the best way possible i mean that's the thing right is that if you're gonna go from XCOM to this if you have a a moment where you like, let's say you're the Hulk or something. It's like if the Hulk is standing next to somebody and you try to hit them with 99% accuracy and you miss, you're going to be like, well, that's completely ridiculous, right? And so circumventing that by it being not so much a degree to which a character will hit, but rather like how much they're going to inflict or what status effects they're going to have, like that's much more fitting for that superhero role, right? Where they aren't going to be as dis... Uh, dismissive or you know disposable as soldiers are in XCOM. so the idea that like you're gonna have to smartly craft in a combat experience that's built around the reality of like these are the marvel's greatest heroes in these things you're gonna have to amend for that and i don't know it's it's the idea of using the environment as like the potential for combat or strategic combat options has grown on me a lot the idea in which it's like well you're going to learn over a certain amount of battles like the strengths of certain heroes and whatnot and how you can use them not only on their base level skills but also manipulate the environment to essentially work in their favor. That's intriguing in a way that I don't necessarily know XCOM always had. I mean, granted, outside of certain destructible environments or barrel, explosive barrels and these things, like it just makes for more of like a chess approach to combat that I think is really yes. intriguing, especially when you're gonna have I mean, I don't know how big the squad sizes are, but you have to imagine like you're gonna have three or four guys at the most, probably. So the idea that you could have more tools in your toolbox and it not just be based on like the cards that you're playing. Like the fact that you could use potentially like a shittier or weaker card ability on a part of the environment which then makes a combo that could be devastating, like that's intriguing in a way that I don't know that XCOM ever was. And not to say that that's a slight against XCOM, but just in terms of like building upon the combat that was in XCOM and then applying it to, you know, the reality of, okay, you're going to play these heroes and whatnot and what they're capable of and not, you know, steamrolling the opposition every single battle because then there's a, a major balancing issue.
1: Yeah. Yes. I generally, it will, Work out nicely. I'm glad in a way that it is going to be this very different thing because while well, still feeling like a Pharactus game, because it, it needs to be, I think, in a way. And it means that they can just go back to XCOM and <laughs> do, do an XCOM thing, you know, and when, and it not feel like, well, it's not one of those things. So, and yeah, maybe they'll learn some cool lessons from this to bring back there. It's, but yeah, it, it makes sense for the project.
0: Yeah, and hopefully, you know, their next XCOM thing will be XCOM 3 and not uh, XCOM Chimera or another, you know, little little experimental yeah. project. I mean, which... Yeah,
1: I I think that would be nice. Uh, just I don't want to have to wait years and years for XCOM, please. I'd like to get another one in before I reach the age of 50, please. That would, <laughs> that would be nice. It doesn't sound... You know, it's not plausible, but Christ, you know, the way games go, you know, things... Rexis don't make things slow you know, slowly, but they also don't really make them that quick by most big studio standards. So but that's because you know, moving parts, things like that. It's uh they're complex in ways that you know, better looking games aren't too. You know I mean, they they have concentrate on the mechanics of things and how that works. And it's hence why I love XCOM. It.
0: But uh, moving on from, you know, Marvel side of things, uh, next up is Metal Hellsinger, which is um, admittedly the one game on the entire list that we've compiled that I did not do any research into. So why don't you sell me on the intrigue that you saw in uh, Metal Hellsinger? So um,
1: while it's not the first game to do this thing, uh, Bullets Per Minute was a game that did a similar sort of idea. Uh basically a rhythm action first person shooter with a very uh, metal theme I mean literally like they got several metal bands such so Danica kind of System of the Downs involved like, among others you know you're basically trying to shoot things and do these things in time to the beats of the, the, the metal soundtrack and you know as much as I hate rhythm games in that respect because I have no rhythm and I can't do that sort of thing it's I like trying and that sort of stuff because I love the feeling of it. I love anything that interconnects music with a game that way is great, you know, and just seeing how this worked. I was like, Oh, okay. I like this. Yeah. I like, I'll give it a go. The demo's on Steam, by the way. So if you want to try it out, do. And yeah, it plays just how you'd expect. And yeah, if you close yourself off from everything and really get into it, good pair of headphones on oof it's an experience you know it's just something to bleed your ears out to it's and just really get into ah i I love what it was doing i think as a game beyond that probably going to be a bit simple in some ways but yeah i I really liked it i I really liked what it was doing Uh, i think this yeah i'm a sucker for music based things and things that do that so it was always going to land with me i think if it did it right
0: yeah i'm watching a, a trailer for it while you were talking about it and you know if it can nail that gameplay loop in a way that you could see stretching out across yeah. you know a handful or more of hours like that could be something that makes for it could probably capture something along the lines of like uh any of of course now i'm blanking on it but any of those kind of rhythm-based games where mm. you know you're I forget what the name of the game is and it's going to drive me crazy now where you had this ship and it was essentially like guitar hero, but you have a ship and then it reads through your MP3 oh. library. Um, oh, yeah, yeah we're, that? we're going to, ha- we'll, we'll compare notes later on what it was, but it's the type of thing where <laughs> it was like, it captures the rhythm of the moment, but the gameplay complements that. So it almost doesn't really matter what type of music you're listening to. Of course, it helps when it's something like heavy metal that, you know, I'm such a fan yeah. of that. It's like, oh, a first person shooter that plays off of that, like that's a dream come true. But the idea that it can capture that, you know, 30, 60, 90 second gameplay loop over and over and over and be just as satisfying as at the very beginning, in the, you know, yeah. the first hour to the last hour, you know, that makes for an intriguing kind of uh, exploration of the first person shooter in a way that hasn't maybe necessarily been explored before, um, which, right. you know, That's all you can hope for these days, right? In terms of talking about oversaturation in a genre, anything that can add a little bit of uh, originality to that gameplay loop, I think is uh, something that's definitely, uh, definitely welcomed. And, you know, funny enough, just like going off of the aesthetic of our last game into this next game, you know, Witchfire seems Mm. like a game that, Aesthetically, looks kind of similar, but it seems much more aligned with something like Dark Watch, which was a vampire western first-person shooter from you know the <laughs> early early two thousands, which we talked about a little bit before we were recording. But I just love alternate history first-person shooters that can incorporate horror. Well, actually, yeah. you know, to be fair, whether or not they can incorporate horror, I love alternate history, and so the idea that you can do that with a first-person shooter. I mean, you're kind of just like sprinkling some of my favorite things on top of a uh, a big gun-centric cake. So Witchfire, I mean, not a great deal of uh, gameplay shown off, but from what was shown, good amount of gunplay, good amount of monster design. Looks like there's going to be some supernatural powers in there. Um, it looks pretty promising, I thought, from what we'd seen. I mean, what would you think of this one?
1: Yeah, I think this is like the second... Seeing showing, we've seen a bit, you know, it's come a long way since then. You know, it's interesting that it was done by the astronauts who did uh, the, the vanishing of Ethan Carter, you know, which is a very differently based game, but it is, you know, I can see it, you know, in a way that just that there's a darkness to that that works, but yeah, the, I like the look of the shooting in this a lot, you know, and it, it's got a feel of those, uh that lost era, if you will, of shooters where we were losing out on the likes of bullet storm and stuff like that just before the console wave changed over. Yeah, so I, I'm all for this sort of mix of medieval sort of shooty bangs. Ah, yeah. Uh, give me all the stuff like this. It, it's great. It's fine. Uh, it, it doesn't get old in the way that it should because it's just there's such... Uh, such variety in what we're getting in terms of shooters at the minute because smaller studios are trying different ways of uh, recapturing that magic and generally working out quite well
0: yeah it's one we got to keep an eye on because it definitely kind of captures that uh that boomer shooter vibe in a way but presenting Ooh. a world that you know and a world and also the pairing of supernatural and more classical fps uh, mechanics together which mm. you know more often than not, can yield some unique results at the end of the day. So, hopefully, we'll uh, yeah. chat about that one soon. But, you know, going from things that maybe have some inklings of the familiar with the genre to something that is completely absurdist and yet has had a fair amount of terrifying moments applied to it would be uh, Choo Choo Charles, which is yeah. a game that you introduced me to. Uh, and this is a game where you are quite literally running away from what looks like, uh, <laughs> a train that has a horrific monster face and spider legs, and it chases yeah. you who are a conductor riding in a train car that just so happens to have a, you know variety of weapons attached to the back of it and you're being consistently pursued and you have the ability to you know fight back and in fighting back, the player earns essentially like scrap metal, which then can yeah. go towards upgrading, whether it be, your train speed the armor the weapons that you're using on the back of the train and it makes for something that it looks i guess it sounds like something that you would think is like well this is just done for a laugh but in watching the gameplay of it like Mm. it's quite terrifying when you go from you know taking care of you know your conductorial duties and then turn around and there's this massive spider locomotive chasing after you uh what did you think of some of the new gameplay that we saw
1: yeah, it was nice to see it sort of, you know, evolved from just being the, the, the one note joke it can seem. Because, you know, you, you see plenty, of, I mean, the same developer, we, we cut their, um, short game No Snake Hotel on Horror Bites. And, you, know, you you look at stuff like that. And that's like, you'd hope that it wouldn't be like that if you were making a big game. Cause that sort of thing would not, you know, it would very much outstay its welcome. But here is, definitely been expanded into this you know big open world that's very sparse very throwback sort of uh open world that reminds me of stuff like operation flashpoint um you know the you know, very ugly npc characters that you know will give you the tasks and stuff it's you know, i say that uh, ugly in a very endearing manner <laughs> it really is because it, it fits the aesthetic of what they're going for and yeah, I like the idea of just constantly being on the run, constantly having to upgrade and tool up these things uh, to combat. And then the, the fact that it doesn't ever really go away, it's just a, you're leading up to the final showdown, is what they were saying, is that you would keep fighting it off till you get as far as you can. And I assume there comes a point where you will have to fight it. That's it. So whatever you have to make sure you do as much as you can before that point, which could Proved to be good for replay value, if that's the case. So yeah, seeing it be this structured game thing, a you know, proper, yeah, you know, that isn't, you know Because for a while I thought maybe it's more story based and it'd be like, oh, you do a bit here, do a bit there. And yeah, that initial image imagery of it obviously caught the eye for a lot of people, and you know, hence why it got a place on a showcase, as it did. So. It's nice to see that it's following through on that and and we're getting more of it. It'd be cool to see a game like this end up doing well and end up being something big and fun.
0: Yeah. You know, it's nice to see more footage of it and specifically footage that captures more of the mechanics or just the structure of what this experience could look like because – For somebody like me, it instills more confidence that this is not something that's just being done for a laugh or a lark, right? It's the idea that it's like there's actually something more to this than just like getting over the fact you're being chased by an arachnophobic version of Thomas the Tank Engine, right? Which, you know, in terms of getting the word out there on social media and things like that, you're like, yeah, that's great. But the fact that there is a bit more deeper of mechanics backing this up, who's to say whether that will actually, you know – flourish into an experience that's enjoyable for more than a few hours but at the same time it's nice to see that it's more than just being created for uh, the sake of being a gag right that's kind of the fear otherwise you might think well other than how it looks like why isn't this just like a brief demo such as uh no snake hotel right um so that instilled a little more confidence in this project for me at least and uh we'll just have to wait and see But next up is not necessarily a game, but it's a friendly hello from our good friend uh, Kojima-san who basically showed up at the Xbox Bethesda press conference just to say that, hey, I'm partnering with Microsoft. We're going to make my next game together, but we don't have details on what that could be or what that will look like. (laughs) Uh, Well, at least,
1: yeah, it was the rumored thing of he's making a game that, Incorporates the cloud technology. If it's the thing he discussed previously, you know, about something that was uh, both a, a game about the creator and the legacy of giving the legacy of creation to the players and incorporating something about streaming, it seemed uh, as he was putting at the time. He's yeah, he puts these ideas out and you don't know exactly how he's gonna put them, you know. We found this with Death Stranding, especially where it's like, you know, lots of talk of ropes and sticks and you don't really get that until you see the final product and get through it and go you know, I c I kinda of get it. But yeah, it was a very Kojima way of saying, you know, it's like, well, it's about giving and taking, basically. Like in the community. But yeah. It, it's cool that he's making something. I hope that's not the only thing he's making. It just because, while it's interesting, you know, he he's, you know, been rumoured to be making it another game. So I'm hoping that it's two projects, and that they are big enough now that he can sort of do that. Because, yeah this one sounds a little further away, given that, you know, he turned up with nothing <laughs> other than that. <laughs> Just like...
0: Not even it always... a bit of concept art, but who knows? Yeah. Hope- if they put a uh, microphone in front of Norman Reedus again, hopefully he could shed a little more light on what's to come. I know
1: it feels a bit like misdirection going on now, because so yeah. far as like, oh, there's a Death Stranding 2, also there's a horror game coming out, also now there's an Xbox game coming out. It's like, okay. <laughs> it's like, you're one studio. <laughs> come on, <laughs> let's not do this. <laughs> it's like, it makes you wonder if any of it, was, I wouldn't be surprised if we get nine months down the line and find out that this was a great ruse by Kojima and he never had anything. It's like, right. it's just, it's like yeah, it was a misdirection that Microsoft paid for. So <laughs> I think it would go down very well, but still, it'd be funny.
0: It was one of those things where it was like, in terms of a showcase, it was cool to see him pop up, you know, just to yeah. get, it, get back out there. And, you know, he needed to make an appearance and somewhat of a statement after, you know, essentially Norman Reedus as I uh, chided earlier uh, revealed the fact that Death Stranding 2 is in development but you know giving us at least somewhat of a glimpse of what could be on the horizon while being completely in the dark and what it could be uh, you know it's one of those things it's just nice to sometimes know which pieces are being moved around even if you don't know what they're being kind of um, melded into so to speak
1: yeah I think the funniest thing for me was just that it felt like the most traditional Xbox moment of the whole thing. Yeah. You know, the Xbox hyping, something up really big, making a big deal of it. And then it being very much not quite the thing they're offering. You know, it's like, you know, Phil Spencer, there going, giving him the big old grandstand thing of, Oh, we're going to be doing this great big thing with this great big developer. i really admire him. Oh, look this. And here he is. And it gives you that whole shit. It's Hideo Kojima moment. With nothing to follow it up with, you know, it's like I, I get that, you know, that that's the cool thing, you know. Oh, he's making that. It very much reminds me of the earlier earlier in that show where they're doing the whole the riot thing and saying, oh, look, all these riot games are coming to Game Pass. You mean it's like, what? These free things? It's <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like cool, but yeah, fine, um, but yeah. It, it feels a bit, <laughs> meh to me. But doing things like that, it, it's big news in business sense, just not necessarily in enjoyment sense
0: <laughs> yeah i half expected like the motorcycle from death stranding to show up as like a forza exclude day one mm. exclusive or only exclusive today or something just based on <laughs> the sort of like arc of the show and whatnot and tying in whether it be at microsoft pro- uh, ips or other ips into you know pre-existing games and things like that but you know i'll never uh, turn down an instance to check in with uh, kojima and whatnot but yeah Uh, This next game, though, or next announcement, you're going to have to take the lead on because it is another thing that I have zero experience with. And that is the Persona franchise and Persona 3 through 5, I believe, being announced as being coming to Xbox and whatnot. And again, a franchise I have no experience with and have no expectations for. So why don't you sell me on why this is a notable deal other than, you know, a historically PlayStation IP coming over to the Microsoft side of things
1: yeah I mean that that is a pretty big deal again one of those things that got leaked early um but um it's significant for two reasons at I the minute mean, you know Persona 4 hadn't and 3 hadn't had a modern console um release uh Persona 4 got a PC release last year I think it was um and we've basically been waiting ever since for that to arrive everywhere else that's apparently still not appearing until next year. What the fuck they're doing with it? I don't know. Because it's like, it's there. <laughs> it's, like, right. it's like, it's like, it's like saying it's on Game Pass is one thing, but you could literally go and play it on PC now. You know? So, it. but, um, it, it also not entirely clear if it is a short term exclusivity deal there. Because, you know, five is already on PS4 anyway. So it's not a problem. But for the other two, it would be interesting to see if it's just there or if it will come elsewhere. So, in terms of why I bring them up in a horror game podcast is that you know, underneath there are two things, you know, it's it's a legacy spin-off of the Shin Megami Tensei you know, series, which in itself deals with the like demon demonic world and things like that. Um but you know, like Persona Four's main plot is about a series of murders, you know, like and like going through to a TV world and then Persona five is more about like the metaverse, the not that one and you know going into there and like changing people's way of thinking basically by destroying you know the thing that's corrupting them effectively in their own like internal world and stuff like that but then that gets countered by someone is murdering people by fucking their brains up in this area and like it's a great big conspiracy going on and yeah it's and they, they're games that last, like, 100 hours plus. You know, like, you know, they go from, you know, you start a school year, go through that, do activities, hang out with your friends, like, whatever, build relationships, then go into the dungeons, do the dungeon stuff in between, where you have your personas. And, yeah, it, it's a cool mix of stuff. And it's, you know, I love 4 and 5, you know, is one of my favourite games, you know. I, I just... I'm still playing for Royale now, and I was a bit scared that they we were going to say that 4 was out straight away or something. I was like, oh, Christ, I need to finish <laughs> the Royale version first and 5 to uh, have another game. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it seems we've got a bit more time. But, um, yeah, I, I it's exciting in that regard. They'll go on Game Pass, so I suppose you know, that brings them to a whole new audience. And, yeah, I mean, cool. Yeah, cool for everyone that we get those games.
0: Yeah, I mean that's one of the things that always makes me sound like an, a game pass shill, but the idea that like you can take a series and, you know, not only just one entry but multiple entries and bring them to a new audience. I mean, somebody like me that primarily uses an Xbox Series S and my PC these days and doesn't use my PS4 for much other than the Blu ray player, I'd be more inclined to check out these games granted 100 hours is a large bill these days, but you know the idea that you could experience them on the console that you use primarily, just the that's always been a beautiful thing I find in games in general. Yeah. The older I get is just the ability, and it's again that horse that I've now beaten to death for the better part of a year <laughs> on the podcast, the idea that you're making certain titles just more accessible to people and the idea that there's the potential to just experience something because it pops up on your feed one day, you know, It's a Friday, you're done with work, you just want to chill out and try something, you go on your Game Pass feed and whatnot, and you see something on there that, like, it's familiar, but you don't know why, so you take a chance on it, and then the potential for that to become your next favorite game or your obsession for the next 100 hours, like, to me, that's a beautiful thing, and having the ability to do that, uh, accessibility to certain games and whatnot is always a plus, so yeah, I mean... I don't necessarily know if I'm going to dive into a series that uh, is known for eating up tens of hours or a hundred (laughs) hours or so. But at the same time, the potential for going down that rabbit hole is something that's appealing to me as a consumer. And hopefully uh, it will find its audience on Xbox as it did with uh, PlayStation.
1: Yeah. Also, Persona 5, best soundtrack. Absolutely fucking cracking soundtracks that they added to twice over with Royale, then with the Strikers spin off, and then with the animation. It's just, uh, Japanese singer Lin just does a lot of vocal stuff, and oh, it's just, yeah, consistently listen to that stuff all the time. And, uh, yeah, the the Royale version of the game that's coming to Xbox is like the version where they've you know, tidied up a few things, and then they've added a whole bunch more stuff in there just to, um, in case you didn't have enough hours in the day um yeah but it's just a grand old thing uh, and uh I, I it's the second time round with you know playing it through royale i've been sure to take my time with it you know and like play it in like bunches as you know the first time i played it i played for review and I just like did the whole fucking thing in a few weeks and it was just like it was magical it was wonderful to do it but yeah fuck no am i doing it like that again first like it's, uh, so yeah it, it can be taken in in bites just it'll take a lot of fucking bites to say that
0: <laughs> I can promise at the very least that I'll check out the soundtrack um but our next game you know is one that i believe that nobody knew about until it was announced uh, at the Xbox Bethesda conference, which would be the last case of Benedict Fox, which seems to be very much inspired by, you know, the Cthulhu Arkham sort of aesthetic or time period. And it's about someone that is, you know, investigating a mansion, which in typical Cthulhu Arkham fashion ends up being the site of various monsters and hauntings and other worlds. And of course, there's a fair amount of family history tied up in that and the ramifications for his family's past or potentially the, you know, the sins of the father affecting the son and whatnot. But none of that is necessarily explained. A lot of that is implied. Um, But, and it wasn't even explained in the trailer, but I think it's easily inferred that this seems to take on the life of something along the lines of like Metroidvania, right? The fact that you're going to be exploring this mansion, the elseworld portals within that. And, you know, you're going to unlock various sections of the mansion and, Getting to the root of the truth behind what's going on, the more you explore, the more you unlock in terms of abilities, which will, indi- will you know, directly impact the player's ability for environmental traversal and whatnot. Um, not a great deal of details given on it, but I think just based off of that, like, I'm intrigued by that right away. I mean, yeah. with Metroidvanias, I find it's more just the flavor of, you know, the world and that kind of aesthetic that goes with it that very much dictates kind of whether or not it's going to be a buy-in for me or not. And, you know, obviously with Arkham Horror, why wouldn't I be interested in this? And just overall, like the way it looks, I thought it looked really great. Um, and, you know, my uh, bias towards things that are more Cthulhu centric, I think fit that gameplay style really well. Uh, how did you find the last case to Benedict Fox?
1: Yeah, it was a nice surprise in that regard. I mean, it does give me, Slight concern because of what we were talking about on Horror Bites last week when we were discussing Dagon and how you know it was nice to see something that understood its source material and didn't just pick bits of it out of the air to to, and use it as like wallpaper. And there's a little bit of this to that that you know just made me think, well, I don't think Metroidvania when I think Lovecraft and cosmic horror, you know, it doesn't really necessarily fit in my head but hey that's that's my concern that's my personal concern it could be a fun game which is what's important at the end of the day it it, it plays well won't matter as much
0: yeah you know i think that so long as the game has the wherewithal to be like this is going to be a you know from a gameplay mechanic standpoint a standard metroidvania style experience Mm -hmm. that is taking on the cthulhu mythos so long as it doesn't try to present itself as being more of an author. I don't know. I think that in this format of gameplay, it could work in leaning into the elements of Cthulhu, like the monsters and all that stuff that we talked about, that within the more historical context of something like we discussed in Horror bites, does not necessarily fit in that type of experience, especially when they want to so heavily delve into talking about the author, being a little more forgiving, perhaps for the author's uh, behavior, sensibilities, and whatnot. But in terms of like this and it being a combat environmental traversal puzzle sort of experience, I think it will benefit from the fact it's leaning more into the monster side of things. And hopefully, you know, the variation is there to back that up, right? In terms of Mm. it not necessarily being something like Call of Cthulhu, the game where it's like the same two monster types, which don't show a lot of depth to them. If there's a good amount of depth here that can be indicative of the world, the setting, and the types of things that can kind of like match the player's arc with exploring that world and being educated in that world and it matching that pacing in terms of being more horrific and monstrous and whatnot. Hmm. I think it could make for an enticing experience that adds a new flavor to the Metroidvania because personally like – I'm kind of over the medieval or the sci-fi Metroidvania style things. I want something more horror centric and exploring that in what I would assume is in early 1900s time period in a world yeah. that evokes that. That's exciting for somebody like me that is maybe a little more tired with the stock standard setting approach to a lot of Metroidvania games.
1: Yeah. In terms of for that genre, it is refreshing to, to have that. Yeah. I said that, My concerns definitely just lie in the opposite direction, just where I don't want it to be just set dressing, you know, and I would like it to be mean. I'm not asking for it to be like a deep, insightful look into cosmic horror necessarily, because, you know, it doesn't have to be. But it's, yeah, just not that it's been just like, here's some stuff we think is, you know, based on this stuff that works for what we're doing. Yeah yeah, you know, again not a problem to do that it is fine to take bits and pieces of something and use that as your influence point it's just as long as you have an understanding of why you're using it you know i think is kind of important if you're trying to make it stand out and make a statement especially when you're taking it into a genre like this and it, that makes it stand out like it did so apprehensive then i think that's the best way i could put it i i want it to work because i like a good metroidvania and yeah you know, one that's horror themed is great by me I, I would much prefer it to be a successful union
0: absolutely yeah and it's one that uh hopefully we'll get our hands on at some early point next year but yeah another game pass one that you know mm-hmm. i think uh we'll both be returning to or actually getting to tackle at some point early next year but yeah. you know we're going to round out our not E3 extravaganza with Diablo 4, uh, a game Mm. that, you know, is coming off the heels of the release of Diablo Immortal, which was a mobile release, but also had a PC side of things. But finally getting to see some gameplay of, you know, the canonical main series Diablo game, getting to see that, you know, come to consoles, obviously PC as well as that. And, you know, I've been a Diablo fan all my life and whatnot. And something I said to you before... Uh, we were recording, was the idea that, you know, obviously Diablo has always dabbled in demonic, the undead, and whatnot, but I find that Diablo, the more that is progressed over the decades, it has become more horror-centric, I find. I almost Mm. find that it's moved away from you know, of course, there's always like the big demonic baddie that is pulling the puppet strings, essentially, of what's going on, but there's so much more attention, and I think that the Diablo 4 gameplay we saw today kind of further instills that direction that they're taking the idea that like, there's so much more attention to the monster design and the creature design that is taking it leaps and bounds above, you know, a skeleton army or, you know, a big Mm -hmm. demonic devil or something like there is really some of the most creative creature design that we've seen, whether it be in Diablo three or even some of the little inklings that we've seen in Diablo four just now in the reveal that we saw. And, it just feels like a much more horror-centric game that you know makes the horror fan in me happy, but also the Diablo fan in me happy. The idea that there is pushing this sort of envelope of the attention that each of the creatures that you're fighting deserve in terms of their design and their abilities, right? I mean, you're going to end up killing a million creatures over the course of one playthrough anyways, but the fact that while some creature classes or creature types might be regulated to being known as like fodder there isn't a a design attention to their design that i think continues to impress me with each new introduction of a game whether it be you know a full-fledged game or just like an expansion pack or dlc and whatnot Um, and granted from what we've seen it seems more of like the standard diablo structure there's a little bit of new uh, gameplay features there's like strongholds which I got a very Far Cry vibe from, right? The idea, you have to conquer these strongholds and then essentially they become bases for allies and towns to pop up. There's sort of a raid element that's being introduced where a big baddie will drop and then if you're playing in a multiplayer server, people can band together and fight this big monster that seemingly takes up half the screen. I'm sure loot and rewards go along with that. Um, But I don't know, for somebody that, was not clamoring for a new Diablo considering, you know, the hundreds of hours I spent with Diablo three, this was exciting in a way that I haven't been excited for Diablo in a while, just from the brief glimpses that we saw in the uh, creature design. How'd you feel about the Diablo four showcase?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's pretty looking uh, for yeah. definite. I mean, it's, I, I think that is another reason why the horror aspect of it grows is because they can be more detailed with these things you know, the environments especially just have this you know, atmosphere into them that, that really drives that home um yeah i mean even if it was just the same diablo stuff it would do well you know i think as long as they don't do anything that's uh, too controversial with it I mean, i'm sure they won't end up getting review bombed again but um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah um it kind of has to come out the gate quite well because obviously notoriously Diablo 3 did not do that initially and as a series that coupled with everything that's been going on with Activision Blizzard anyway and uh you know it's um putting it in a very tight spot if anything goes wrong you know and it was I must say I was quite surprised Microsoft despite not having closed the deal um Made sure it seemed like they had with with the Activision Blizzard stuff because you know a few of those games just showed up like yep oh, there you go not that notably did that you know and uh, Game Pass deal and everything like that so one way or the other they're gonna have that deal down the line um but yeah it's it's an interesting crossroads for it and hopefully Diablo four you know if not in development um in terms of release is going to be this first big post-acquisition game that sort of sets a new tone, if you will, and just shows that things come out properly and come out right the first time and smoothly. And there's probably more hope of that with Microsoft handling the charge. But, you know, by the time this comes out, I'd imagine most of that's in the past by then before Microsoft can really do anything to interject. um. Yeah. I mean, it's always tricky talking about anything Activision Blizzard anyway, because of that, because of everything that's been going on. But at the same time, you know, you can't know, you know, if you're a fan of games, you're not going to be like, well, I'm not going to not play it. <laughs> right. I, you know, because people worked hard on it and I want to support it as well. And you have that aspect of it. Yes. You can say, oh, well, they got paid beforehand, but still it's, yeah, you know, if it's a good game and they've made it, well, you kind of want to play it, don't you? That's natural, but it's, Yeah, it's a series that just seems to be having hard luck constantly in the wake ever since Diablo 3. But if that game proved anything, it's that you can turn things around. And, you know, I mean, notoriously so. You know, that game went from a shit show to being fucking solid. You know, it really did, you know, to the point where I was very much into it too, for a while. And so, yeah, it's... Looking good. I I really do hope that it all sort of pans out nicely. I'm sorry, I'm going to sound like the right downbeat one at the end of this episode. No, I think... It's like, I've got two hours, you've got me too cranky.
0: (laughs) You know, it's the type of thing where I think you need to acknowledge the fact that it's a contentious time based on, you know, the way that that company has been conducting themselves, what has been allowed to occur the fact that you can't ignore those things, but at the same time acknowledging the fact that like, there's a lot of hard work that needs to be hard work from, you know, people that, you know, for lack of a better phrase, are punching a time card. Right. I mean, people that are on the ground level that are putting in the hours and whatnot. And I think that, you know, that hard work deserves to be championed while, you know, not condoning anything about the way in which the higher ups conduct themselves. Um, And the unfortunate nature of that, but you know, hopefully with the way in which things are being handled at the legal level now that that can start to be the turn, right? In terms of conducting that uh, culture at that company and whatnot, while championing the hard work of, you know, that's why I kind of led with the creature design and things like that, right? The idea that these contractors that are coming in on a temporary basis that are, you know, putting in, I'm sure, extraordinary hours and whatnot and the animators that are bringing those monstrosities to life and whatnot. I mean, That's hard work that needs to be championed and needs to be uh, applauded and whatnot, while at the same time, you know, only hoping for the best for the overall working conditions of those that are, you know, making these uh, horrific fantasies of the Diablo world become a reality for people like you and I to sit back and, you know, enjoy and whatnot
1: yeah and to sink hundreds of hours into again i'd imagine so
0: hopefully and it's uh it's an interesting way for them to you know kind of end their showcase or one of the last titles for them to really end on and whatnot and you know at the same time i think you know in we're going to get our hands on some uh some games that we mentioned today whether they be you know smaller or bigger games and whatnot which i'm looking forward to chatting with you about in the future. And uh, mm. I think next episode we'll share some of our listeners uh, thoughts on the showcases and whatnot, the naughty three showcases. Cause you know, this yes. was a bit of a time crunch, you know, not too much uh, <laughs> inside baseball and whatnot, but you know, it being a Sunday with the showcase and whatnot wanting to get this out on Monday so that people don't uh, miss an episode and whatnot. Uh, we'll be sure to share that.
1: Yeah, just to say, it's not our fault. We didn't cover the re, the classic Resident Evil games coming to PS Plus. That's so not us. We didn't know. We didn't know. So, <laughs> it was too early. So.
0: But that's a great lead-in for the fact that we will have some sort of coverage or commentary on our Safe Room Twitter account at Safe Room Pod for the yeah. various announcements at the PlayStation Conference, which will be occurring after the time of this recording. Uh, but yeah, you know, as always, Neil, it is a uh, pleasure chat and horror with you for Safe Room. Absolutely. Until next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show update. You can also tweet us or email us at saferoompod at gmail.com. If you'd like to share your thoughts on a game, we're going to cover next. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next Monday.